Our scripture reading today comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 8 and read to about verse 17 or 18. It is amazing to me how this passage of scripture, in a sense, describes our day and our time, and especially of how we relate to other people, and particularly how we, we talk to skeptical or hostile people uh, about why we have this hope that is in Christ. In the Why series, the ultimate why is the question that is asked, why do you put your hope in Christ? You and I need to know the answer to that. You and I need to contemplate the answer to that. You and I need to understand what this means, and then we need to be able to share it with other people. Listen to what Simon Peter said. Finally, all of you, he's just talked to Christian husbands, and he's just talked to Christian wives, and now he's speaking to the whole church. Finally, all of you. Here's what I want you to do. Be like-minded. Be sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate. Be humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. And then Simon Peter quotes from Psalm 34, wonderful words. Look at this and, and imagine yourself in this. Whoever would love life, isn't that you and me? Whoever would see good days, isn't that what I want? Simon, uh, the scripture says, must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to, to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And then Simon Peter starts talking about the inevitable difficulty and suffering that we face. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Don't fear their threats. Don't be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be, pray, be prepared to give an answer for the hope you have in Christ. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, that's important, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. 
I don't have to tell you the importance of this week in America. I don't have to tell you the difficulty that we see on every hand in America. I don't have to tell you that, that we look around and we see more and more discord and strife and all kinds of people that Simon Peter is describing right here and then telling us how we respond to them. So important for us to remember in gentleness and respect. So important for us to understand that, that, that Christians' husbands have a way to live and Christian wives have a way to live and all of us should be compassionate and kind and tenderhearted and caring for one another and not repaying evil with evil, not repaying insult with insult. You look around in America and you, you wonder. Uh, I'm always taken aback at one thing, and it is this. When 25-year-olds, 28-year-olds, 30-year-olds in church will look back over their life and say, I dread it for the teenagers growing up today because their temptations are so much greater than when I grew up. And if, if you're my age, you just have to smile at that. It just doesn't seem possible, does it? But here's what we've seen. Every generation struggles with what the next generation has to deal with. How do we deal with these times? How do we give an answer that Simon Peter said, always be ready to give an answer for the hope you have in Christ? For most of us, there, there probably is somebody around you, maybe somebody at home today who asks, why do you go to that church? Why do you give your offerings? Why are you there every week? Why does this matter so much to you? How do we answer? What do we say when someone says, why do you put your hope in Christ and why do you believe as you do? Well, let me give you five answers, part of them right here, but in other passages of Scripture that we're going to look at, because for you and me, it is not an opinion. It is what, not what I think or you think, but it is what does God's Word say to us? Why do you have hope that is in Christ? Why do you experience that hope in Him? So let me give you five answers. Why do you put your hope in Christ? The first one is because Christ comes from the Father. Almost always in life, we want to make salvation about us, about what I deserve, about what I should receive, about how good I am, or, or how at least how good I am compared to other people. But in Scripture, that is never the comparison, and there is nothing of that, because Scripture will always tell us that we are sinful people, that we've been rebellious against God, that we were 
that we were born into sinful families and we've made sinful choices in our lives. But because of that, God came into the world. God sent his only son. In John 1.18, right at the beginning of the gospel, John says, no one has seen God at any time. But the son who came from the father reveals God to us and he makes God known. Remember that Jesus was Jewish. All the disciples were Jewish. All of the early believers were Jewish. The 3,000 saved on the day of Pentecost, most, almost all were Jewish. The 5,000 saved a little bit later, all were Jewish. But the unbelieving Jews, the thing that bothered them so much about Jesus, the thing that made them start plotting to put him to death was when he said, I and the Father are one. They couldn't understand what they perceived as blasphemy. When he said, the Father has sent me, and I speak the words of the Father, and I reveal the Father. Think about Mark in those early chapters, and Mark's gospel is different from the other three. Not difference in substance, but different in emphasis. Because Mark's gospel is the the briefest of the four. And what he wants to do is not tell, he doesn't give us the Sermon on the Mount. He doesn't tell us the long teaching that John recorded. What he does is tells us what Jesus did. Mark's gospel is an action gospel. So one day Jesus was was teaching in Capernaum. And the house in which he was teaching was filled with people. And even the outside of the house was filled with people, an open window so that others all could hear. And there were four men who came with their friend who had never walked. And they believed that if they could get their friend to Jesus, that Jesus would heal him. Jesus, of course, did healing. And he said, their faith has made you whole. So when they get there, they can't get in the house. They can't even get to the house. They can't worm their way into the house. So they have the great idea of going up to the rooftop. Every house in that day had had steps going up to the roof, and a lot of people would go up to the roof and to get to find a breeze in the oppressive heat. And so they go up, and most of the roofs had a thatched roof, and they pulled that back, and they let the man down inside. And then Jesus said the strangest thing to you and me and the most offensive thing to the Pharisees who were there. He said to the, to the man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Strange to you and me, because you you and I would think that he was going to heal him first. Offensive to the Pharisees, because he 
he equated himself with the Father. Son, your sins are forgiven. But Jesus knew what they were thinking. So that tells us a tremendous amount right there. He knew what they were thinking. And he mentioned the fact, you were saying, who can forgive sin except God alone? But to show you that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins, man, take up your pallet and walk. And he immediately did so. We put our trust in Christ because Jesus reveals the Father to us because he came from the Father, because he came to heal people, but he came to heal us on the inside. Think about it in this way. You and I have the answer to the world's greatest problem. But you and I know that the world's got plenty of problems, but we have the answer to the greatest problem. We trust Christ because he came from the Father and he brought good news to us. You and I use the word gospel and we think of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But the word gospel means good news. It was a word that was used in the Old Testament. Remember in the book of Isaiah, when Isaiah was talking about the Jews coming back to Jerusalem, he talked about, I have good tidings for you. I have good news for you. Remember when the angel spoke to the shepherds outside Bethlehem, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And we put our hope in Christ because Christ has come from the Father and revealed the Father to us. And we put our hope in Christ because Christ has taken our sin and he has taken the place of our curse and put it upon himself. There's so many things in Scripture that just didn't make sense to the scribes and the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders. And one of those was the fact that, that Jesus was the sinless Son of God. And by the way, remember who said that he was sinless? I always think this is such an amazing fact. Well, nobody in the... I mean, they may have said it in 500 A.D. We say it in 2000 A.D., but we didn't see Jesus. We didn't walk with him. We didn't talk with him. We didn't see him when he was tired. We don't know whether he was hangry or not. We don't know any of those things. So who said he was sinless? Well, John the Apostle, for one, and we, you read through the Scripture and you find that John was in that inner circle of Peter, James, and John. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed at the Last Supper, it was John that was reclining right next to Jesus. John saw Jesus in all of those things, and the closest one to him said, this indeed was the sinless Son of God. 
And this sinless son of God came to take your place on the cross. This sinless son of God came to become the once and for all sacrifice for your sin. Here's what Paul said. He who knew no sin, he who had never committed sin, became sin for you that you might have a righteousness not your own, that you might have a standing before God. The day will come when all believers will stand before God, not in shame, but in victory and in hope and in deliverance. Not hoping that everything works out, but knowing that we belong to God, not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done for us and how he gave his life for us on the cross if you read Hebrews chapter 9, by the way, Hebrews is a great, a great book to read because it tells us of the superiority of Christ. Apparently, it was written to a group of Jews who were just like you. They were under pressure from their culture. Their culture was pressuring them on every side. I, I saw a great illustration or heard a great illustration one time of what it means to be persecuted and what it means to be pr- pressured. And the man took a grape and he put it between the two fingers and he slowly ratcheted up the pressure until the grape burst. Well, that's what the world is trying to do to you. If you're a teenager, it's exactly what the world is trying to do to you. Maybe maybe you're 10 or 11 or 14 years old. It's exactly what the world is trying to do to you. It is pressuring you. It is ratcheting up the pressure. It is wanting to make you burst. The Jews were doing that to those Jewish believers early in the first century. And they were being told, don't you want to go back to the sacrifices? Don't you want to offer all of these things? Those people were under pressure. And the writer of Hebrews wrote to those people, telling them that Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the superior way. The theme of Hebrews is the superiority of Christ, superior to the angels, superior to the law, superior to the temple and the tabernacle. And he didn't go like the high priest, that's Hebrews chapter 9. Remember how the Day of Atonement occurred? Every October for us, there is the Day of Atonement. And the high priest would go in the most holy place one time in the year and make sacrifice for the sins of the people. He would take the blood of bulls and goats and he would sprinkle it around the altar. And the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus does not make continual sacrifices. Why did did they do that in Judaism? Well, the writer of Hebrews didn't, didn't say it in this way, but it didn't work. And so you had to make more sacrifices, and you had to make them again and again. And the writer of Hebrews said Jesus went into the heavenlies one time only. 
And so when we say Jesus is our once and for all sacrifice for sin, think about it in this way. What an amazing statement. First John puts it this way. Our sin was forgiven in the past. Our sin is forgiven in the present. And our sin is forgiven in the future. That we put our hope in a God who knows us and loves us and forgives us and who took our place on the cross. Why do we trust in Christ? We trust in Christ because Christ bestowed his spirit upon us on all who believe. Here's the way the New Testament teaches that we are saved not by our own means, but through the work of Christ for us, and Christ draws us to himself. We are his chosen people, and we belong to him. And we respond to him in faith. And when we do that, he gives us his spirit. Think about his spirit. The spirit of Jesus is with us. I always am astounded of the joy of that and the meaning of that. Because Jesus didn't just come and die for us on the cross. He wasn't just raised from the dead. He didn't just ascend into heaven and then left us alone to do all of this on our own. But he said to his disciples as he was ascending, stay in Jerusalem until the Spirit comes upon you. And the Spirit of Jesus came upon them and upon us, whether even you even recognized it or not when you were saved. The Spirit of Jesus is within us, and he came bearing gifts to the church, the gifts of apostleship and an evangelist, of pastors and teachers, for the gifts for believers in general of, of mercy and service and generosity and teaching. The Spirit of God came to work within us and he produces fruit within us and grows fruit within us of peace and love and joy and faithfulness and goodness and kindness and self-control. The Spirit of God comes to work within us and never leaves us. Isn't that what the writer of Hebrews meant? That Jesus is the once for all forgiveness of sin. That he doesn't make that sacrifice again and again and again. Do you see how that affects how we worship? Do you see how that affects how we believe? That our salvation is complete and whole in Christ and we are his people. The fourth reason why we, we put our trust in Christ is because of the change that he has made in our lives. I wrote this down on your sermon sheet, the way because of the, the change in course of my life, but it's the way that way with you too. That God is at work within us. And when we open ourselves to him completely, he brings us closer to him and we become more like Jesus. And we are set apart, we are sanctified for his service to live for him and to do what he wants us to do. 
But we all know how difficult this is because we know the pressure of this world upon us. Because we know how culture is closing in on us. Because we know of the ridicule that we experience. You may have seen this week there was some kind of survey somewhere or the other and and they asked Americans how many people believed in God. Well, the answer was 81% which is extremely high, it's just that it's lower from what that has been in the past. And I saw an interview with one woman, and and here was the question, do you believe in God? And she said, that's absolutely ridiculous. And so we feel that pressure, the dominant media, the things that are repeated over and over, the people who who have star attraction, all of that pushes in on us. You've heard me this quote before. It's not mine. It was about a woman, a young woman in the Salvation Army, but it just means so much to me because it does describe my experience. Here's what she said. I know I'm not all that I used to be. Kind of the way we all feel, isn't it? I know I'm not all that I ought to be, but thank God I'm not all that I used to be. We have this culture around us squeezing us. How do we deal with that? How do we deal with that culture? Let me give you you a suggestion. Create, Create your own culture. Now, you can't create the whole dominant culture. But you can create the culture around you. That's what my mom and dad did for me and my brother. I didn't recognize it. And my guess is my dad never thought about anything like that. All he thought was, I have children and I love my children. And so I have a best friend named David. We had had a boy. We were going to name him David. He was a best friend. And do you know why he was my best friend? Because my mom and dad and his mom and dad spent a whole lot of time together. And we were born same time, went to a school that only had one class per grade. And so I was in that that with him, and he was my best friend. We went to school together. We roomed together. What a great friendship. My little brother and his little brother were best friends. You know why? Because they spent a lot of time together. And our parent, their, our parents spent a lot of time together. We went to church with them on Sunday morning. We went to church with them on Sunday night. At Sunday night after church, we often went to the Bryan household or they came to our household and sometimes we went other places. And the Bryans probably didn't know it, and the Baileys probably didn't know it, but they were creating a culture. You can do that. If I had children today, 
here's some of the things I would do. If I, I would take them to Upward Sports. Upward Sports meets right over under the pavilion and in the field behind it. And this fall, they're going to do flag football and cheerleading. I'd take my children to Upward Sports where I knew a little bit of the values of the people who were teaching. And I would make sure that from as early as possible, my kids got into a connect group. I don't know what it is about it, but the connect groups, the small groups Bible study, that one on, one on 10 or one on 20 experience of a teacher getting into the hearts and lives of students makes a difference and it creates a culture. If I were doing this, I would do what Martha and I did. I would find some people around me who had approximately the values that we have to reinforce that and to, to put our children together because every grandparent knows this, by the way, uh, children need a lot of activity, sometimes a little bit more than grandparents can give. But children need that. When I meet with, I, I, over the last two weeks, met with two churches in our area, and they were asking all kinds of things, talking about all the things, and I said to both of them these exact words, we need your church to do very well. Now, why do we need that? We need that because we want them to reach families with children, teens and children in grade school and preschoolers. And we want them to be raised in the things of God so that when they go to school with our kids, our kids have a culture around them and there are other people around them. You have to create that culture and we have to do that. And it, it has to be what you and I do. Senior adults need to create a culture around you. Young families need to create a culture around you. And we need to find that to bless one another and to help one another. Because to know Christ is to change the course of your life. The fifth thing for the reason why we follow after Christ, it's because God raised Christ from the dead and by doing so proved the power of his forgiveness. You see, it was the resurrection that made all the difference with the disciples. They'd been with Jesus. They saw people raised from the dead. My goodness, think about that. They saw people raised from the dead, but that wasn't enough. They saw people who couldn't walk, walk. They saw people who couldn't see, see. They knew the teaching of Jesus, but it was the resurrection that proved the power of Jesus. Paul, think about Paul. Paul had everything this life could give. I'm sure there are people here today who have everything this life 
can give. And some of you have come to know Christ and you've said it's not enough. And others of you don't know Christ and you don't know that, but you know that there is something that is missing. Paul had everything this world could give. He had power, he had money, he had prestige, he had, he had the acclaim of many, many people. He had everything this world could give, but when he met Jesus, everything in life changed. And how did he meet Jesus? He met not Jesus in the flesh, but Jesus who appeared to him from heaven, the risen Lord. This is the one that we worship, and it is for this reason that we put our trust in him, that we shall be raised as he was raised, that as he is in the presence of the Father, so we will be in the presence of the Father. And I simply cannot implore you enough to quit trying to make this world make you happy. It simply cannot do it. And it certainly can't give you a home in heaven with God forever. But in Christ Jesus, you can have everything you ever wanted. You can have a life of meaning and fulfillment, and you can have peace and love and joy, and you can have a home in heaven where all of that comes with perfection. That's why Jesus came for you and me to make us his own, and that is why we follow Christ and trust him. And I, wanna, I do want to implore you, to give your heart to God, to open yourself to him. We, we do that. We have an invitation time. We have pastors here at the front who are trained to help you and counselors to take it even farther and to help you as you, you say, I confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and I want him in my life. We, we want to help you do that. For every one of us, there comes a point in life when the only thing that matters is did you know Christ and did you put your hope in him? I urge you, be reconciled to God. Give your heart unto him. Let's pray together, please. God, thank you for your great love for us and thank you for giving your son and making us new in Christ. God, please bless us. Please touch our hearts. Please draw people to yourself. Please work in this great time. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.